Hello, and welcome to My Friend the Artist. Today, I'm grateful that I get to sit and talk to my friend, Caitlin Maud, who is here in Austin with me, and I'm looking forward to hearing all about what she is creating. Caitlin, tell me about yourself. Hi. Um, I think a lot of artists will probably relate to the sort of paralysis that comes in when asked to describe themselves. So <laughs> okay, how about this? I will start with, I met Caitlin through yoga. Caitlin started yes. sort of yoga classes, um, on Sunday nights and was coming, um, I think at the height of my mystical, magical yoga, restorative, um, ness and, you know, slowly through time, we've kind of gotten to know each other. You have a magical unicorn of a daughter, um, who I just find absolutely precious, um, I'm constantly seeing you participate in wonderful art things on the gram and in life. And I know you've got a lot of great projects going on. So yes, that okay, is, that helps. That that is helps. our friendship in a <laughs> yoga yeah. and art and all sorts of things. I'm a, I'm a body mover. You are a, a body mom. Um, and I am an artist and I think that's only a title I've really started embracing recently. I had a very corporate career for the last 15 years or so working in the advertising industry, doing market research and working with very big companies to understand their consumers as they call us. And recently over the past two years during the pandemic, I decided to go back to grad school and and working toward becoming a licensed art therapist. All that time, I have had a personal art practice that has sort of grown and waned and goes through seasons and cycles. Um, I went to undergrad for art. I went to a fine art school for college. Already had the background in it. Okay. Yeah. So I had a really strong foundation and it was always there for me during different seasons of my lives, my lives, <laughs> the many lives I've lived. Right. Well, I mean, ultimately, you know, if you're just doing one thing, it's only one life. If you keep chameleoning it, then, you know. Yeah. And it's always just something I've come, come back to at different points and for different reasons. And I'm, I am very fortunate as much as I struggled in corporate environments for a number of reasons. I was around a lot of very creative people. So um, there are a lot of brilliant videographers and writers and designers in the advertising industry. So I I still got that energy through right. working with all of them, right. even if I wasn't maintaining any sort of studio practice. Right. Well, I think that's the thing. I think whenever you're around other creative people, you just can't help but you know, you're absorbed in the creative energy and it just cycles around you. And that's not a bad thing at all. I have two questions. I have, I have one question. I, I want to know one, why you struggled so long to call yourself an artist, but first I'm going to ask you what you're drinking this morning. So every morning, my yes. partner makes me a coffee with MCT oil, cacao, um, a little bit of stevia and some like supplements and things. It's basically my breakfast in a coffee <laughs> and I mean, it is so I good. Think, I think that's, I mean, it's like bullet coffee or whatever. It's, it's like called. bullet coffee with like sometimes better. some like 
mushrooms end up in it. It's like a very magical, mystical way I start my day is with this like supercharged coffee. I love that. I think there is nothing better than someone handing you a cup of coffee. I'm not going to lie. You know, making coffee on my own is great. But like when someone else gets to make it and bring it to you, mm, that's just magic. It's love. Yeah, it's definitely very much. That is definitely one of the ways I feel loved most, you know, most days on the weekends. We like to go out for coffee, but during the week, um, I'm usually the slower person in the morning. And so I get the coffee handed to me and it is. Excellent. It is blissful. That May is- everyone find their person that hands the coffee right, in the right. morning. Maybe, maybe, and maybe we all take turns in making yes. someone else coffee. Yes. yes. I love it. I love it. Okay. So tell me, I just want to know why, what is it that took you a while to struggle or that was the struggle in calling yourself an artist? Obviously you went to arts, you went and took art for, for educational purposes mm-hmm. and you're in a field. Yes. Marketing is a whole other field, but marketing takes a fair amount of creativity what is it that prevented you from really stepping into that role or that title? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, I think for a long time, I held up art as like fine art, like the people who are showing in the, you know, the Met and the MoMA, yeah. like those are <laughs> artists. Those yeah. are real artists. The ones right. whose work is highly visible who have collectors and I held up art in a very high regard as something that was limited to a select few who have made it. And I, I don't even think I believed it. I just didn't see myself there. So I didn't feel comfortable saying it. Like I have friends who I would call artists who aren't in the MoMA Right. Uh, And I call them artists, but that I never extended myself that same grace. And I think, I think so often we do that. We absolutely, and and, in everything, right. We, we give everyone attention. We give everyone focus. We give everyone, you know, we'll give everybody else a grace that we don't give into ourselves or we don't, we don't allow ourselves for that. So I think I absolutely understand that on so many levels. Yeah. It's, uh, and there's other, yeah, exactly. There's other things that apply to it too. Like I'm six years into having a kid, the term mother, like never has sat with me in the, like the most comfortable way. And I'm not sure why, like, as if I have to do something I don't yet know about to be like, I'm a mom, you know, (laughs) do I get my badge? Do I get my mom badge? And, and I think especially for people who are haven't made a career out of their work yet or whose mm-hmm. practice um you know is cyclical where they're making a lot of work and then they're not it can feel like during those periods well I'm not making work so I'm not an artist and I just don't think that's true either and historically it's not true if you've taken even an a foundational art history course like right. the greatest of the greats were not consistently always making art. There were some who were prolific, but that is not the norm. Right. No, we all need a break. We all need a break. Um, And, and yes, I think art in general is cyclical. I think um, I cannot remember now who said it and I'm so disappointed. I'll have to, I'll have to Google it later, but um, Google is always my best friend in that sense. There was an interview once with, um, I think she was a singer and I, I really can't remember who it was. And, and she had gone and written a book or had started doing other art and she was talking about how, or an interview was like, Oh, so you're done with this. And now you're going to do that. And it was like, that is like, no, everything has a season. And, you know, 
my art here affects my art here. And so it's all just creativity coming through. And I, that to me is the, the most resonating foundation of being a creative person I've ever heard because I like watercolor. I like writing. You know, I like to, it, 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 we have these things that, you know, I like to take photographs. I don't consider myself an artist in any of those things. And yet we make art. Right. And so it's that idea of like, you don't have to do one thing. You don't have to do everything either, but there is, if you're creating, there is that space where it's like, okay, I get to call myself this. And, you know, we have that problem like, yeah, yes. When, at what point do we label ourselves or claim that for ourselves? Maybe not even label. Maybe it's not that I have to be in this box, but it's that concept of like, at what point do I say, yes, I, I am doing that. Yeah. And it's so toxic because it's not only just the label for ourselves, but art in general is something that I think is sort of misthought about or mislabeled even. Like when you ask people what to picture art in their mind, they picture again, and I'm y'all can't see this. I'm turning my computer to show like a shepherd fairy poster I have in my background. Like they picture things that are highly visible, highly commercial, highly known. Or, or we think of the greats like Van Gogh and Michelangelo. And, you know, we think, we think of dead guys, dead white guys, who, dead white guys. And who didn't even get famous until after they were dead. And there is art everywhere, all around us all day long. The, the most prolific artist I know personally is my six-year-old. You know, she is making more work than any other practicing quote unquote artist that I know. Right. And yeah, that is not what I picture. And I think we do a real disservice to people's entry into the field of art or even being willing to experiment and create because it is seen as this thing that is reserved or or applied as a label only after a certain level of commercial success. Right. right. And I, I do believe that, that it, you know, it's it, the fact that you are making art, the fact that you are a creative person does not, we don't own the, the title then. We don't, we don't yeah. claim it for ourselves. It's the moment that we achieve quote unquote success. And, and in this modern age, what does that even mean? I mean, <laughs> do I have a thousand followers on Instagram or a million or, you know, in my, my art, my posters can't stay in my, you know, what is that? And I think that's the, the silly part of it is we have so many avenues and ways of um, being successful. And I think in reality, I think so much as if we, if we consider making the art and we, we, we say, I am an artist and we say, I, this is the art I enjoy to make. I'm a creative. I think that's success when you can just claim it and say that this is what I do. As far as um, art, little people art, my youngest um, came home with one of those uh, scrolls of paper. We're talking, it's, it, yeah. has, it has to be like, I don't know, maybe 12 feet long. And he had gone through his classroom and taken all the circles in his, all the things that, you know, had a circular base and traced them and then drew like the circumference, circumference, circumference. There we go. Um, and I have them hanging in my bedroom from the ceiling down and there, there's four of them. And it's just that's like, so cool. and then it's just like, he's like, this is my art today. And I was like, I think that's great. You learned about circles and, and now we got art on the wall. I love that. Okay. So I want to know what is your favorite way to express creativity right now? Writing. 
which is interesting. So my favorite way to express creativity right now is writing. And it's not always the most obvious writing. I'm not working on a novel. I'm not writing, you know, poetry. But I find myself responding to a lot of what's happening in the world and in my environment with a desire to work it out through writing. And so I it all started because I am very active on Twitter. <laughs> so in addition to Instagram, I am very active on Twitter. Okay. And for anyone who has been on Twitter, um, it's just a lot of opinions and a lot of discourse that happens there. So and, funny, I haven't been on Twitter in years. Um, you know, back, that's, you know, that's but, it's, but it is, I mean, it is, it's so funny. Like every now and again, I'll pop on there and just be like, wow, this is so much. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. And, and so my desire to participate has gone down over the years, mm-hmm. but I still find myself wanting to respond. And so I, I don't always feel like my response warrants an audience or warrants like contribution to a wider discourse. So sometimes I'll see something. Yeah. You know, I don't need to always just like dump my opinion on top of the opinion pile. Right. But I feel called to respond. And so a thing I I've caught myself doing a lot recently is I'll see something that sparks that response feeling in me. Mm -hmm. I'll write it out. And I'll never post it. And often it's too long for Twitter anyway, because, you know, Twitter, that it's right. part of how Twitter inhibits nuance is because right. of the character limit. And so yeah. I'll take to my Give notes me your app. bullet points. Yeah, I'll take to my notes app and just start responding to, you know, different conversations that are happening. And I feel like I'm moving that energy through my body in a way. And I'm, I feel very creatively expressed when I do this because I've taken that time to really like formulate my thoughts about a thing and, Mm -hmm. and, and get it down on paper. And I feel like my writing has actually really improved. Um, and that I'm able to, I, I think in corporate America, I spent very long focused on like persuasive writing it, or more of like a persuasive style of yeah. writing. Yeah. And now I'm being more expressive and emotional and just yeah. thinking about like, how do I communicate how I feel about this thing? Not yeah. because I need to convince anyone else or not because there's like stakes involved. Right. It's not a, it's not a debate. It's just an expression to be able to use your words in a manner that oh, this is my opinion or this is how this makes me feel. It's such a different way of writing. Yeah. And I, I would really love to write a book one day. Um, I don't have my, my theme yet. I don't know if it's novel. I think it would probably be nonfiction. I read a lot of nonfiction. And so I think that would be my, my broader genre, but I feel these little bits of ideas and stories coming up. And I think the best thing I can do to keep the faucet on is just is to write them down when it comes Yes. I think, um, as someone who likes to write and someone who's been writing for a long time, um, even if it's just in my diary or whatever, as a kid, um, I, I do believe, you know, for me, particularly when I'm writing, I notice that like, there'll be one idea and then there'll be another idea. And it's like, okay, I gotta write them all down. And it's, it's so much of it is, um, like, okay, this thought comes and it's like, right. You know, if you're in the car, it's on the phone app or, um, you know, I have about a zillion journals 
here. I'm a journal problem. Um, I'm a journal for everything basically. And so, you know, as you write it down and it's like, okay, I'll come back to that. Um, and I always think of, um, I always think of Elizabeth Gilbert, um, when she wrote that big, when she wrote big magic, she talks about how, you know, she had an idea and then, you know, some life happened and she came back to it. And then that idea just didn't resonate. And so for me, it's like, I might as well write the idea down because even if I come back to it and it doesn't work, then I have 15 others that are kind of there. Um, and so are you thinking maybe memoir ish? I'm so curious as to what, what it is. Yeah, maybe, maybe memoir ish. I, I don't know. I don't know. And that is, I, so I, Elizabeth Gilbert's Ted talk Mm. that was, that came right after eat, pray, love, but before big magic. And I think very much informed big magic. Mm. It was in, I want to say 2009. She talks about that, that like, you know, we, aren't, there isn't a genius. We have a genius is the way that they talk about it. And this idea that like concepts and inspiration and things are like out there in the universe, like these little, like 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 magical just floating around. Yes. Yes. And you can grab it or, you know, maybe you are on a long road trip and you don't have your notes app and you just say, well, that one wasn't meant for me. It's right, on right. to its next host or whatever. Yeah. In, in I, and out. Yeah. I love collecting them is like yeah. so great when you can so that you yes. have them. But also recognizing that it's not, um, it, it's never, creativity is never a, the one that got away. Right. It's not, it's not like, um, it's not like a dating pool or, or, you know, that friend you, you like, damn, we were such good friends and, and then we just disappeared or what have you. Yeah. I think creativity is one of those things where it's just like, you're going to have, if you foster it, like any habit, you will, you will have more ideas and there's probably a better one floating around. The, the too late, um, Mm. feeling and too late story is so, it is such a way we harm ourselves. Like I am 36 and I am in a grad program that most people do right after they graduate from undergrad. I am the oldest, I am the second oldest, but I, myself and my other older counterpart or returning students, as they like to call us. Yes. We are much, much older than our colleagues. And the first few months and, and preceding when I actually enrolled, I was so self-conscious about about not having done it sooner. Why didn't I do this sooner? I've always wanted to study art therapy. I've always wanted to do a program like this. I've always wanted to go back to school. And I had very good reasons for not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, not the least of which is grad school is incredibly expensive. And I, I just didn't have money to do that at that time in my life. And I had other priorities. But I see now that I'm in the program the ways in which my experience has primed me to do this at this point in my life, the things I've been through in my adult life leading up to now inform so much of my approach to therapeutic Ah. work, so much of my approach to art, so much of my professional maturity that I'm really starting to let go of that too late feeling and and seeing the ways in which I'm actually 
better set up for success to do this now. And, and I think it's the same with an idea, like maybe an idea has come to you and you, you, it's not too late to start working on it two or three years later. Maybe it's exactly the right time. Maybe the world is ready for that idea. Then maybe you're ready for that. Yeah. You're in the place to be able to actually manifest that idea. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, tell me about how you stay inspired. What is it that keeps you besides your Twitter feed? Twitter, Instagram, social media. I, I do think one great benefit of being in a fine arts program um, early in my life, I went to Mass Art, which is the only state-funded art school in the whole country. It's um, the only public art uni- college or university in the whole country. And the folks that I went to school with are just some of the most brilliant people I know. And so I am very fortunate that through social media and the fact that we have Instagram and Twitter and Facebook yes. for better or yes. for worse, I get to have that little peek into their their art world or their practice or their minds or still feel very connected to what it is that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've all gone on to do really interesting things. One of my my best friends from college um, is now an art, like, I don't, I guess I don't even know what you call it, a shipper. He ships extremely expensive works of art. And I've been asking him recently about shipping artwork because I'm interning at a, at a gallery. And so I was like, you know, tell me about how you, how do you do this? You know, he has had some pieces where he flies on the plane with the piece of art where they, they fly it commercially because it is not safe to be shipped. I mean, it's just, I take so much inspiration from these stories that are adjacent to my world but aren't things I know about. Yes. I, I I love learning. I love going down the rabbit hole. And so <laughs> I am very inspired by the projects and the, the work that people I know are doing. And I think that's probably my prime source of inspiration. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, I said, I read nonfiction. I love self-help books. Yes. <laughs> I love self-help books. And some of the ones I read are pretty heavy, but I think there is a little what is, bit. What is your favorite self-help book you've read thus far? Big Magic is definitely among them. I didn't read it this year. Okay. Um, Big Magic is among my favorite self-help books. Another one of my favorites is one called The Desire Map by Danielle Laporte, um, which definitely had a moment probably like 10 years ago. Um, Longer because I'm pretty sure I read it before I had kids, but yes. yes. Conceptually though, it's one that has really stuck with me, which is this idea of like making decisions based on how you want to feel, not necessarily what you want the outcome to look like. And that has helped me tune in a little bit more to myself and even be able to answer a question like this. Like I can notice what inspired feels like now, Yes, yes. you know, yeah. over the years of tuning it in, like, am I doom scrolling or am I genuinely being fed through this like right. online behavior? And so I think that's another one in terms of this year, I have been reading a lot for school. Um, So I read a lot of of like academic papers and things. Um, Less inspiring or just as inspiring? 
it depends. It depends on what it is. Some of them have really like blown my mind wide open and yeah. stuck with me. And some of them, some of them I've straight up disagreed with, or I've thought are like <laughs> harmful or bad. Right. There's a very popular self-help book right now called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And it feels like extremely controversial to say this. I did not like that book. <laughs> yeah, it sounds. Ugh. It's okay. heavy. It's it's a heavy yeah. read, but I didn't feel like it was super actionable, which is kind of a bummer. When I think about self-help work, I want something like when I talked about Desire Map that I can take forth and implement or feel like really changes something for me. Yeah. You want to be able to inspiring. read it and go, hey, okay, this is an action plan or okay, these are steps that I can do. Um, I've been listening to The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck. Um, and mm. I'm in the car, it's really nice to just kind of have an audiobook. and I'm real yes. slow through it, but she talks about, um, and you know, finding our way and through the lens of like Dante's Inferno. And oh, so it's, cool. it's one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, this is a book where I can hear, you know, like she's going to ask me questions when I'm driving in the car. I'm not going to get yeah. them until later, but it, it does that thing. And, and if you you're reading a self-help book, or if you're reading a nonfiction book that is in that vein, you want to be able to go. Hey, yeah. Um, yeah, my parents are immature and I don't, you know, it's caused me to be the adult at an early age. Now, how do I take that and function in my, in my world? Yes. And so I felt like. Because calling kind of, it out doesn't actually do anything. It's yeah. just like, yeah, thanks. I've joined and the club. That is like the big aha moment for people, I think. Like, oh, there's a term for this. But then I'm missing, and maybe this is like where my part of my professional career comes in is like, then I want the, so what? So in the, in the advertising world doing what I did is I would do market research, but then it was always so that the companies I was working with could message something more effectively so that they could improve the product so that they could change the organization so that they do X, Y, Z better for people or more effectively for the business. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I read some self-help books, so this one is like, just happens to be a very popular one right now that I read this year. I felt like it was missing the, so like the, so what, or the yes. And it just sort of landed with like, exactly what you said which is here's a this label yeah. you can claim it now here's our party welcome to the club yeah. a she- big aha moment for people but then and i guess also this is me as like a budding art therapist is i want to then say so so now what are we doing about you so you have this information and how does that change things for you right. how does it change your relationships how does it change how you show up and i felt like the book lacked some of that guidance and yeah. so yeah. It is very Instagrammable. It's a very Instagrammable <laughs> title, very salacious title, but right, I really controversially, yeah, yeah, did not, did not like that one. Yeah, I can see that. Um, okay. So let's talk about burnout and self-care because I know that as artists, um, whatever you're creating, we talk about the seasons, we've talked about how we go through phases and things like that. What are some things you do to prevent yourself from burning out? What are, what does your self-care look like? Even I know as a mom, there's a level of self-care there. There's, I mean, shit with pandemic life and everything else. <laughs> like, you know, Just, I think just some mornings for me personally, it's like some mornings I'm like, I woke up today. High five. <laughs> you know? yeah. I drank enough water today. High five. Um, you know, it's, it is so, and I think as creatives, 
particularly in the world of social media, particularly in the world of um, that feeling of like, I have to be creating all the time in order to, to, I'm claiming artistry. I'm claiming I'm an artist. Now I have to be making. And I think that that kind of leads to our burnout um, Mm -hmm. and and a lack of creativity if you're forcing it. So I'm so curious as to what you do or what your self-care looks like or how you are actively preventing burnout. Yeah. I have been thinking, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this for a long time for all the reasons you've mentioned as a mom in the pandemic, a, a new way of thinking about this that was introduced to me very recently is as an ethical obligation. So I am currently in an ethics course as a part of my art therapy program. Right. And as prospective counselors, And especially as prospective art therapists, not only do I have an ethical obligation to maintain an art making practice Mm -hmm. for the sake of my clients and knowing that that is a huge part of my relationship with my future clients, I have an ethical obligation to self-care. I have an ethical obligation to preventing things like burnout and compassion fatigue, which are rampant in the helping profession. And some of it is inevitable and that is unfortunate, but it is my duty as someone who is taking an oath at a certain point to do no harm, to indulge in self-care so that I don't get to that point so that I can show up and be strong and be in integrity with clients. And so that was like a totally new way to look at it for me. It's like not just something I, that's a nice to have, but something that I am actually like legally bound to committing to. (laughs) And so I I I think, I honestly believe that that's what it takes. I remember um, so clearly um, when I had Aiden, my first, my firstborn, I remember going to his pediatrician and his, the first thing the pediatrician was saying is like, okay, so you need to take time out for yourself. Mm. You need, and it's good for baby also for you to be gone for an hour and take care of you. Cause you can't, if you can't take care of this child, if you're burnt out, you're not sleeping, you're not actively participating in life around you, then you cannot care for this small person who, yeah. who does not have anything. And that was now, whether I did that or not is irrelevant, but I think, I think so often we think about that as like, it is an obligation. It's an obligation to your art. You know, I think of in yoga, it's an obligation for me to practice what I preach, you know, mm-hmm. and as a mom, it also is my obligation to show my kids, um, what self-care looks like and not just like bubble baths and, and things that are really Instagrammable, but you know, Self-care looks like we're about, this is my checkbook. <laughs> we're going to look if we can go, if we're going to the library today or if we're going to the bookstore, it's real easy. It's going to be real easy for us to know this is what's going out. This is what's coming in, you know, and that's self-care. And when it comes to hundred percent, it comes to artistry. It's like, okay, you know, it's real easy for me to, you know, say, I'm going to commit to this and, and I'm going to make every day. Right. And I think I always think of, um, Julia Cameron's uh, The Artist's Way, right? And the idea that I'm going to get my three pages in and, and <laughs> which I love. I love that concept. It's so good. And it is, there are times where my brain is like actively running around. So it is become one of those things where it's like, I've got to write this down. Mm-hmm. And that is a version of self-care. But on the same token, there are times where it's like, I don't want to write today. And yeah. 
And maybe, maybe we just put the pin away. And honoring that and saying like, no, and having a boundary and like saying, I am hearing what my body wants is like also self-care. Yes. Yes. Right. It it can look so different. You know, I think I, I, it's so funny you say bubble baths. Like one of my primary forms of self-care is taking baths, (laughs) (laughs) but I was going to say like beyond Epsom salt baths and like baths being a really important like ritual for me, one of my biggest forms of self-care is saying no. And like, this is totally new for me, but saying, no, I can't do that. No, I don't want to do that. That's even harder It is because I can do that. I just don't want to. And you know what? That's (laughs) enough. Like that's enough. It is. And it's, and I think, you know, we can go on that subject all day long, whether it's womanhood or motherhood or what it is that really is like, you know, you don't want to box yourself or just societal saying, I don't want to turn down any opportunities, but there is something really nice about just saying I could do that. Yes. But I, I don't want to No, no, thank you. And I know for myself, um, I don't, I've been working with just with the idea of, I don't have to explain to you why I can just, yes. No is a full sentence. No, I can't do that. Or just no. Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. I, I think that's huge in terms of, of self-care. And then my other thing is it is movement and being in my body. And there are seasons where that looks like restorative yoga and rolling around on the floor, as you call it. Yes. There are other seasons right now where I'm trying to build a little more heat. I'm I'm doing more like cardio work because yes. I feel that is what I need to be very present in my body. And it's, it's so opposite of restorative yoga, which also makes me feel very present in my body. And it's just different times, different needs. And so right now being in my body is also one of my main strategies for getting off my phone, Mm -hmm. like to be, so I, part of it for me is knowing like, if I go get on the spin bike, or if I go boxing, I can't also be scrolling. (laughs) And same thing with the bath. Like you can scroll in the bath, but you're really, you're really risking some stuff if you have the phone (laughs) in the bath with you. It's so funny. I was talking with a friend recently or not recently, maybe a couple months ago. And, uh, you know, it's just like, you take your phone in the bathtub. And he was like, yeah, it's not a big deal. And I was like, you drop it in there. He goes, it's not a big deal. They make them waterproof now. And I'm like, I'm not going to risk that. Never. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, do I have my phone near me in the bathtub? Sure. Yes. I like to put, I like to put on a meditation or some music. Occasionally I'll like check in on my phone. I take extremely long baths. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I am, I am not a person who, um, Rolling, yeah. who plays with fire in that way. Yeah. So like yeah. respect to people who do like, that's totally one way to do it. But I love that I can't use my phone in the bath. Right. It's like a forced constraint. And, and as any artist or designer listening knows, like boundaries and constraints are what make yes. the piece. They right. are, they are the yeah. piece. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I have the worry of someone's going to FaceTime me while I'm in the, in the bathtub. So <laughs> I, just, I just put it away, put it to the side. No, I, you know, love it. Whatever it takes, whatever, whatever it, takes. it takes. Exactly. Okay. So last question, is there a project you're working on right now that has your heart that has your motivation that you're really digging on or loving on? Hmm. I've been doing a lot of fiber work. Mm, so yeah. I love to weave. 
Um, and this is very relevant to what we were just talking about. So weaving in particular is something I learned recently. I only learned it maybe two or three years ago, recently in my, my yes. adult life or my art practice. Right. And I love it. It keeps my hands busy. Mm-hmm. And I think that some people knit crochet. I, when I weave, I'm making it as an art piece. I'm not making things that are functional. I mean, they're functional in that you could hang them if you wanted, but it's very highly textured, um, highly colorful. Yeah. Big, usually recently they're very big pieces and because they keep my hands busy and moving in a Mm -hmm. pattern repetitive way, I've noticed that weaving for me has become very meditative. Yes. Because it is very meditative, it has become a deeply personal art practice. Like I feel very connected to my pieces in a way that I've made some stuff that um, I'm, I feel like is very commercial. Like I make it because I think people will like want it and want to hang it and it's cool. And like, this is not that this is something that's very personal to me that I feel very engaged with and very proud of because I'm putting myself into it in a way that I don't with all, with all of my work. Right. It's you. It's you. It's you. I think that is, I think that's the best thing ever, Caitlin. I I can't even, I love that. I love the idea that we can just drop in and create art. Right. And it's, it's, I think in those moments where you are just so into your piece and it's so meditative, it's so just invoking all of you. I think you, you can't help, but leave a little bit of yourself in a little bit of your heart, a little bit of your magic into that piece. So I think that's amazing. That's beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you so very much, my friends. I'm so glad we got to talk. Is there anything else, anything you want to share for the peoples of the world? Um, I will get all your, your information and share your, your handles and all the fun things too. Caitlin Maud, Caitlin Maud Moon on social media. Come find me. Um, I'm making art. I'm talking about my process toward becoming an art therapist uh, leaving corporate America, all that stuff. Come, come hang out with me on the internet or in person. Come find her either in Austin or on the webs. Yes. Have a great day. Thanks, Liz. You're welcome.